fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about drinking poop with my friend Caitlin. Oh, dear God. <laughs> How are you, Caitlin? <laughs> I don't know. Now that I know that we're going to be talking about drinking some feces on your podcast, I'm not sure how I feel. Did you, like, I love that, like, I would have never expected that this would have been something that we would be discussing on this podcast, but, you know, it's endlessly surprising sometimes. <laughs> it's really like they're running out of, of topics to go about, so they have to create something, because, what, in the last few weeks, we've had them just, you know, promoting themselves in their own lawsuits uh, to now drinking poop, so. <laughs> yes, uh, and... You'll find out that it's it's really stupid because they're kind of like recycling a story from 2015. So I don't know uh, why we're talking about this six years later, but we're, we're going to get into it when we, get, when we get into it. I want to say we got to, we went on break for a bit there. Uh, Caitlin had some reading week to zen out to, but uh, I also just was getting stressed out as a parent. My, the, the laptop that had the water spilt on it uh, is finally kaputs, so... Uh, I had to scrounge around and find an old PC in my house that we're currently using right now. So, <laughs> But we've we've made it work, and we can get on with the show. So sorry for the delay, but you'll get two episodes this week. So you're welcome. <laughs> how, did, how did you enjoy your reading week, I guess, is something I should ask. Mm, it was, like, not as restful as I wanted it to be. I actually worked on a lot of things that I just kept putting off over and over again. And then finally just had the space to not use my teaching assistant role to procrastinate <laughs> with. <laughs> so now I could actually, like, I actually had to go and work on those things. Um, and yeah, then I had some more setbacks with my thesis, which is driving me nuts now. And yeah, don't feel like it's ever going to get done. <laughs> oh, well. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, and uh, you'll have to cross that bridge when it gets here. <laughs> oh no, it's a hundred percent getting ready or going to be yeah, completed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. die. <laughs> I'll die before I quit. I'm that committed, but I'll just complain and talk about how I might want to quit over and over again. But it will get done. <laughs> Fair enough. Do you at least have a sense of completion with some of these other projects that you you got some of them done? Or do you not even get that satisfaction? <laughs> uh, no, actually, I did something really cool. So I'm working on a couple of projects that are kind of my passion projects when it comes to research, which is I really like looking at employment trends because I'm boring, I guess. <laughs> but I really <laughs> like looking at uh, precarity that's happening in Canada in the sense of employment precarity. And I got to look at how COVID has really affected precarity uh, for the overall Canadian population, but also for specific groups of people. And I finished my analysis for this, this research project and just some of the results were so interesting. And I'm really excited to, to get on the process, writing, it, writing up the paper and actually getting it published now. Um, that sounds really cool. Yeah, some things I found was that like, you see that there is drops in precarity or like these like non-standard work positions, like temporary and part-time employment, but you actually see a sharp increase during the 
recovery periods after the initial lockdown. So like in that, those summer months when cases were quite low and businesses were opening up again, you see this huge surge of specifically part-time and temporary employment. And that's probably because what's happening is you see a decrease in, uh, in temporary and part-time kind of work during the lockdown because those people are probably getting fired and are going yeah. into the group of people who are unemployed and not even being considered in my analysis because you don't actually see people in standard employment. They're not actually increasing whatsoever. It's just you see that people in part-time and temporary are those rates are lowering. And then among the summer months, they're going up because probably as business try to recoup, they're probably trying to hire more temporary labor to help uh, recoup profits that they lost during some sort of financial crisis, like a pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we see for like different groups of people, these really interesting relationships, which we can talk about another day, but... Um, it's going to be interesting my own like when i get to experience it when uh this is done and i get to send my kids to daycare and i go out into the world to try to look for a job again because <laughs> if there's no more uh new uh full-time jobs it's gonna be back to what it was before the pandemic anyways you know what i mean i don't know well it's... what i kind of predict is there is going to be a period where a lot of employers will hire people in temporary and part-time positions but eventually, as things become a little more stable after this pandemic, there probably will be some some rising levels of standard full-time, full-year kind of work. So it might be just like waiting it out and seeing how things end up. So I don't know. Or you could just support this podcast. <laughs> Shamelessly promoting it. Enough about us and our research and whatnot. Uh, we'll just get into the show. This is the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the Rebel from February 15th to February 19th. This week is apparently the sixth year anniversary of Rebel Media, which means a large portion of the content this week is flashbacks. Hooray! <laughs> it's February 15th. You know what that is? It's our sixth birthday. Our sixth anniversary of Rebel News. Can you believe it? Uh, so we asked our team to put together a little highlight reel, a little montage of what we've been up to lately. I haven't even seen it yet, so we're going to watch it together. It has uh, this feel of, you know, like a 90s sitcom that is going uh, through creative rut and therefore fills the time by having the main cast reflect on previous episodes that then the audience has to rewatch. I don't know if you've ever seen that in like Friends or whatnot. <laughs> I just hate when they do that in shows. They do it all the time. It's the worst. It's the episode no one wants to watch. Yes. Well, this was the, the week of that for The Rebel to me. <laughs> Uh, Ezra also claims that they are still trying to figure out who they are. <laughs> um, and I mean, we're still sort of figuring out who we are. Though arguably their, their content has been fairly consistently garbage for years, but they are now struggling to define themselves as news. Or as uh, Ezra is claiming, they're now a civil liberty organization. And I think the rebel has transformed itself several times over the last six years. I think right now we're an important anti-censorship 
civil liberties force as well as journalism. After all, they spend most of their time telling people to disobey COVID restrictions, so now they're all about civil liberties. Ezra reflects on how he may have become a politician if the conservatives didn't push him out to run Harper in his riding back in 2002. Ezra thinks that the decision to have Harper run ultimately was the best decision for the party, and it also saved Ezra from becoming a politician, something he despises today. Whereas I once was interested in being an MP, I was running. I now write that off as a youthful fancy. And as I grow older, my regard for MPs falls with every new year. I'm sure they're nice people, but look at them. The main reason he gives for not liking politicians is that they're allowed to say whatever they want. MPs have protected speech. I, I don't know if you know this. I think you probably do. It's called parliamentary privilege. And part of that is an MP can literally say anything in parliament and not be sued for it. An MP can stand up and slander anyone. He could accuse you of murder. He can say the most shocking and defamatory lies but parliamentary privilege is absolute. This seems weird for someone who loves free speech, but he mostly seems upset that he can't sue them for uh, libel when they call him a Nazi. You criticize them too much. You insult them too much and you shouldn't. Show some respect. They're honorable members. And you know, by criticizing, that's a problem when you do it. Now they can say anything they want, but they want to take that same freedom away from you. Look at this. MPs say hate speech is constraining public discourse. I love that juxtaposition. Speech is constraining speech, they say. That's Orwellian. But hate speech, I mean, that sounds pretty bad. Sounds pretty hatey. And you don't support hate, do you? I mean, that would make you a hater, too. You're not a hater, are you? You're not one of those Nazis, are you? So stop with the hate speech, okay? Ezra takes a look at polls that show that Eric O'Toole will lose the next election if it is called today. Ezra thinks that this is because O'Toole is weak and ineffectual and is moving the party towards the center rather than the right. Ezra calls Eric, Eric O'Who. There has been no honeymoon for Aaron O'Who, as I call him. Later in the episode, an audience member writes in calling Eric, he him O'Toole. Causing Ezra to respond. I'm especially upset at Aaron, he, him, O'Toole for caving to leftists and the media bombsters. Oh, come on. Please don't tell me Aaron O'Toole uses his pronouns. I, I won't be able to survive learning that. Please tell me you're just joking. Very brave of Ezra to take a stand against pronoun use generally while simultaneously using O'Toole's preferred pronouns in his response. Ezra asks the question, who is more submissive to China, Trudeau or Biden? Ezra begins by playing the clip of Trudeau saying that he admires China's basic dictatorship. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China um, because their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime. I mean, come on, how can anyone ever beat that? That's the GOAT, as the kids would say, the greatest of all time. Ezra then plays a clip of both Biden and Trudeau discussing the Uyghur situation and to what extent it should be called a genocide. In that clip, Trudeau lays out the legal framework of genocide and then says that in, the, in this case, the word is something that we should be looking at. First of all, on determinations of genocide, uh, the uh, principles of international law 
uh, and the international community in general, uh, I think rightly, takes very, very seriously uh, the label of genocide and needs to ensure that when uh, it, it, it is used, uh, it is uh, clearly uh, and properly uh, justified and demonstrated so as not to weaken uh, the application of genocide in situations uh, in the past. And that's why it's a word that is extremely loaded and uh, is certainly something uh, that we should be looking at uh, in the case of the Uyghurs. Ezra takes this as evidence that Trudeau doesn't think it is genocide, which contradicts the clip he just played. So Trudeau doesn't think he wants to call it a, a genocide, eh? A similar thing happens in the Biden clip where Biden unscriptedly says in a roundabout way that he won't hesitate speaking out against what is happening to the Uyghurs in China. And so the idea, I'm not going to speak out against what he's doing in Hong Kong, what he's doing with the Uyghurs in western mountains of, of uh, China and Taiwan trying to end the one China policy by making it forceful. I, I said, and by the way, he said he he gets it. He really said that. Oh, my God. But because he frames it as the idea that I won't speak out, Ezra takes us as Biden admitting that he won't criticize China for what is happening, which is the exact opposite of what Biden is saying. He said he's not going to speak out for Hong Kong or the Uyghurs, Hong Kong, which has been semi-autonomous as part of their agreement with the UK for the return of that city. He doesn't care. And he lumps in Taiwan, a separate, independent, sovereign country. Biden just lumped Taiwan in as if it's some province of China and they can do with it what they like. Ezra argues we are currently living in George Orwell's 1984. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. One of the big themes of the book is controlling language. In the book, they call it new speak. It was a shocking concept to me first reading the book 30 years ago, uh, but now it's completely normal. It's what we do all the time. To prove this, he plays a commercial created in the UK to tell people to stay home during COVID. The commercial is vaguely reminiscent of old school anti-piracy commercials and tells people they shouldn't hang out during COVID. At the very end, it says going to meet up with people is against the law, which isn't technically true. And is why Ezra thinks this is literally 1984-style doublethink. Imagine writing that it were true, and trying to convince people that it were true, and thinking you were a hero for doing so. And, and this, stay home. Protect the NHS. Save lives. NHS is the National Health Service. It's their government-run healthcare over there. You might think that the purpose of the health uh, system is to save you, but you're wrong. In doublethink, the purpose is for you to save the health service. Ezra thinks this is so egregious, he plays the commercial three times on his audio podcast when there is no spoken word on the friggin' video. <laughs> then he suggests uh, people are begging for lockdown exemptions. Please, Master, may I have an exemption? I promise I'm going to work, and it's essential work, not non-essential work like my neighbor does. Please, sir, let me go to my essential meeting. It's um, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, very important for my mental health, unlike my neighbor who just wants to go to church and we know what they're like. An Alberta pastor is in prison for continuously violating COVID restrictions. Ezra and his guest suggest that the kind of Christian persecution is the kind of thing that happens in China, not Canada. 
mean, the idea of a pastor being thrown in jail uh, is so utterly antithetical and foreign to a nation that purports to be free and democratic. I mean, that's something you expect to hear uh, from uh, from China or North Korea. We, we often do hear it, right? And and hopefully that's uh, that's ringing some bells for people to think, okay, I'm I'm hearing now something that's happening on a regular basis in a totalitarian dystopian nightmare like uh, China and North Korea. <clears throat> Maybe that means that there's something wrong with what with with our country right now that purports to not be a totalitarian dystopian nightmare. Ezra spent a lot of time trying to claim that the Edmonton Breedman Center is one of the worst prisons in Canada. And he knows this because he used to be a lawyer in Edmonton. When I was a young lawyer, I did some lawyering at the Reman Center, probably the old one. It is one of the worst facilities you could uh, be put into. At least back in the day when I was a young lawyer in Edmonton, First of all, it was a maximum security facility. It's where people were taken right off the streets. They may still be drunk. They may still be drugged up. They may have come straight from a fight. Literally, murderers are held there pending their disposition. That's my memory of the Edmonton Remand Center when I practiced law there more than 20 years ago. Is the pastor in a high security facility with violent criminals? If the Reedman Center is really this bad, it is depressing that Ezra seems more upset that his pastor is locked up in this situation or in this institution than this institution is so messed up in the first place. Ezra predicted a big protest on Sunday at the Reedman Center that would change the nation's hearts and minds about COVID restrictions. About 100 people showed up and it barely made the news. And that is the week. There were two uh, stories I wanted to focus on, which both uh, took place on the Friday episode. The first, which is kind of like old news, but I want to go over it just because we, we've we talked about uh, through most of the uh, Imperial Roundup segments that we do over the last few months, every time they have another like denialist point. But this Friday's episode, the first half of the show was like a rundown of all the COVID denial that he's like going through right now. And I thought it was worth highlighting the deluge of uh, dangerous ignorance uh, that he expounds on this in particularly because like, you'll see some of the claims are so overdramatic that they can't possibly be true. But uh, <laughs> first, so Ezra denies all the science around the virus and says that the flu deaths are likely not down, but just being recorded as COVID deaths. The COVID-19 virus has not destroyed our society. It has been named as the cause of death for 21,000 Canadians, though there is reason to doubt that all of those people died from the virus as opposed to dying from another cause, but also having the virus at the time of death. If you look at how the statistics are compiled, it raises real questions about the accuracy of that number. And then there's the unusual fact that the public health authorities have just claimed that there simply has been no flu this year, which would be an unusual miracle, wouldn't it be? Except that it leads me to wonder if flu cases, which are another form of coronavirus, if they're just being called COVID-19 cases. So for people who don't know, right, usually the flu will peak in uh, the fall and wintertime. But because we've had the lockdowns and been told to stay distant 
and use hand sanitizer and wear masks. Cases of the flu have gone down dramatically. Which means you're going to find interesting things, which is that it might not look like that we have a ton more deaths than usual, but that's because we have far less flu deaths than usual because we're taking precautions that both help against the flu and COVID. But, like, Ezra has absolutely no evidence for saying... Like, it's so annoying that he can just go up there and go, flu deaths are likely not down, but they're just being recorded as COVID deaths. With no evidence. He also says that uh, masks are a religion or a fetish. It's a crypto religion. It's a way to signal your virtue, your holiness. Are you a one-masker? Well, I'm a two-masker. I'm better than you. Oh, you're a two-masker? Yeah, I used to be. Now I'm a three-masker. That's not science. That's a fetish. What? <laughs> yeah, they're they're like, uh, us leftists are just really into wearing masks. It's like a, a bondage fetish thing. I like how he's like making it seem like a religious symbol that we must carry around. Leftist pride is not the hammer and sickle. It's the mask. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like... it. Like, uh, my guess is most people would rather not have to wear the mask. And once once people realize that this thing is gone, I think there's going to be a large segment of the population that will stop wearing, will eventually, like, slowly stop wearing the masks, right? Which, is, to me, that's, like, the exact opposite of a religious symbol. <laughs> yeah, and no one likes it. Like, people complain all the time. I hate wearing them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's irritating. I find, like, I mean, it's... The stakes here are so low, but I am slightly annoyed with like, I feel like no one can hear you when you're going through like the checkout. And I still feel like the people on the other side of the plexiglass who are also wearing a mask, they still have it, even though it's been a year of this, they still have it in their mind to make small talk. But then like, like them talking through their mask, through plexiglass, through my mask, <laughs> just like all like communication is just a... Uh, not not easy at the grocery store anymore. Or it's just even like very stuffy. Like it feels very hot sometimes to be wearing one, especially like in the summertime. Like that's, it's not a fun feeling. Yeah, but that's why it's a fetish. You just, <laughs> you, you keep going back for that stuffiness pain. <laughs> Being suffocated. Yeah. He also claims that vi the virus is plunging without the vaccines. It's not the virus anymore. The virus is plunging. Uh, here's the latest Ontario hospitalization stats. Down by 60% in the past month. With no vaccines, by the way. Uh, the cases in intensive care have fallen to just 269 in the whole province. There are nearly 500 hospitals in Ontario. So each ICU patient has two whole hospitals to themselves. Look, the pandemic is over in any substantial way. That's because we just had a bunch of province-wide lockdowns. <laughs> That's why it's been plunging. <laughs> it's like, no shit, come on. I will say, like, we're also getting vaccinated. So it's like, it's one of those things where, like, what, what, <laughs> I can just imagine a scenario where we all get vaccinated. And then he's like, see, we did it without the vaccines. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, it's so stupid. And, like, I love this whole notion and it's like worse it's worse than him saying that uh the pandemic is is over 
because he he goes on to further say that the virus is gone or as good as gone. Virus is gone. As good as gone. It'll never be completely gone. The flu virus comes back every year, kills thousands, but that's life. The numbers we have currently today are way are still almost as high as they were during the first wave. And he was saying that the pandemic was over back in November when the numbers were lower than they are right now. But yet now he's saying it's as good as gone when we have higher numbers than the last time he was saying that the pandemic yeah. was over. I was reading an article too that they're saying that with new variants that we can suspect like an even worse third wave of it coming yep. around April time. And it's really going to be dependent on like the vaccine schedules and like people socially distancing and like, you know, proper, proper reopenings and stuff of places. So I don't know. And there has been some evidence that double masking is, uh, uh, is a good idea. Yet I find like I do it at the grocery store. I double mask. And yet I think I'm the only one in there that's double masking. So, <laughs> you know, that's what the, the guidelines are suggesting. Maybe it's more beneficial. And now I'm I'm the outlier, but whatever. I'll, I'll look like the, the crazy uh, person with the double masks, but who's like, uh, like a hypochondriac or something. But like at the same time, I don't want to get like one of these easier to spread versions of it. He also says a public health order is not medical advice, but a political expression. A public health order is not a medical diagnosis. The phrase doctor's orders, that's not actually an order, right? It's advice. No more cheesecake for you. Cut back on the drinking. Doctor's orders, but, but it's really doctor's advice, right? Only a politician can make an order. And, and those public health orders are not medical diagnoses or, or prescriptions, are they? A public health order is not a medical order. Um, it's just a political expression. And this this part is just like kind of like weird, but I wanted to hit on it because he says this as if it like like it's very profound to say, where it's like, of course, uh, anything that you get the government to do is a political uh, expression, right? It's an expression of our government doing something. But the reason why you have public health officials t like suggesting to the government what to do and giving them advice is through science, right? He's making it sound like public health is not science when it's fucking science, <laughs> you know, if he can, if he can boil it down to it, it's just politics. Then he can play the game of like, uh, this is just the liberals pretending to be on the side of science. But they're not really on the side of science because public health isn't really science. That's like kind of what he's doing here. Yeah. And he goes, uh, norms have been destroyed. But mainly the story here is how we have been turned against each other, how politeness and courtesy and friendship and harmony and community and norms have all been destroyed. I mean, that's all even like they, that's like such a boomer thing to say too. <laughs> Like when I hear my mom say, oh, these phones have ruined social communication. <laughs> Remember back in the day when kids would knock on each other's door and go out and play. And I'm like 20, 25 years old. I'm not going to go fucking knock on someone's door and ask them to go play outside. It's weird. I remember when we first signed up uh, for online learning and uh, my wife's, my, my in-laws 
or like they're they're your son's gonna have his childhood like taken from him or whatever <laughs> and like i don't mean to, to like i laugh just because it's kind of silly like because when my my wife got off the phone with them and she told me they said this i was like there was kids on this earth who like have been through so much shit like genocide and <laughs> like like tormenting torturous traumatic shit and have lived like long fulfilling flourishing lives you know <laughs> And so I think our year of him spending maybe a little bit too much time playing Minecraft than I would love, he's going to turn out okay, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now, it's like I, I wouldn't prefer to go through this, but at the end of the day, he's going to be fine. He'll look back on this in the same way that we look back on major events that happen in our lives, you know? Yeah, exactly. And lastly, he says the, the flu virus kills thousands, but that's life. Yeah, I think that that sums up his whole philosophy is like, let's just let let's just let nature take its course and just kill millions of people because that's eh, life. Why? Why do anything to help others, Caitlin? <laughs> well, it's just like, what if we said this is cancer? People just die of cancer. We should just shut down any organization to support any sort of cancer research because cancer, if anything, is a completely natural process where your cells just mutate uncontrollably and, and kill you slowly from the inside out. And that's just life. Well, as we transition into the next story, I mean, like, why regulate anything anyways? You know, just... <laughs> what? Why don't we just like breathe in f like toxic fumes because that's life, you know, it is what it is. So now we get into the main event, which was the interview section of the Friday episode. And it starts off with Ezra mentioning a Bill Gates tweet. All right. But he says that it's so disgusting. He can't even read it out loud. Here's a tweet that I dug up from the past. It's so gross. I warn you in advance. Ugh, I can't even read it without gagging. I'll just let you read that yourself. I just literally that reading those words will make me gag out loud. I'm sorry. That's just super gross. He does, however, display it for his video audience. So I had to go hunt it down. And the tweet in question is from 2015, which seems a bit odd that we're talking about it now, but it reads as follows. Quote, I drank water made from human feces. Here's an update on the machine that produced that water. Is this really that bad, Caitlin? I mean, it sounds pretty gross, I'm not gonna lie. What, is it so gross that you wouldn't read it on your show? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So you're you're on the side that, of that it's gross. What, what, I forget, yeah, it's a little gross. Where do you think our water comes from? Well, I know it comes from poop, but I don't want to know about the process. Well, it doesn't just come from poop. Like, we're, we're technically drinking. Like, I think I read a study somewhere that showed that, like, every water molecule on Earth, and given how long the dinosaurs live, you're almost guaranteed to be drinking a water molecule that was at one time dinosaur urine. So we drink dinosaur pee on a day-to-day -day basis. Science fact for y'all. <laughs> that's cool but i don't want to know i mean that it sounds cooler now because i made it about dinosaurs and not poop right yeah exactly <laughs> but the thing is like we we water molecules 
are water molecules, right? The problem, like, the problem with the association with feces is that you're grossed out by it. But if, if you were to extract water molecules from a piece of poop, those water molecules don't contain some sort of magical poop essence, you know? It's, <laughs> they're just water molecules. Well, there's a whole, like, processed, so you're not actually drinking straight feces. It's not like it, they just take the water from a toilet bowl and make you drink it. Well, no, because any piece of poop would dehydrate and the water molecules in that poop will evaporate into our atmosphere, will then rain down upon our earth somewhere, then go into a river system, which will then get sucked up into our one of our filtration systems and then end up in your tap water. So it's like the thing that's weird about this t- like tweet is that we're already drinking water made adjacent to human feces, <laughs> you know? Or all of animal species, every feces on this earth evaporates a little water molecules into our atmosphere. Okay? Yeah. If you want like a close look at how that process is, my parents had like a septic tank because yeah. <laughs> we're on well water. We're not actually um, using city water. So it gets all stored pretty much in a, in a tank in our backyard. And you have someone who comes and cleans it out and then eventually takes all of that and uses it. For the water and filtering out water. So that's crazy to me. Which is why the only reason I think that the way Bill Gates framed it this way, like I drank water made from human feces, is probably because this is like a direct, like we take the sewage water coming from a sewage system and then like churn that out to make a glass of water. Well, it's also clickbait. Yeah. I mean, because that's like that's shocking, right? Oh, human feces. But they go from this, which I thought was a pretty... uh, I don't know, clickbaity, not that gross, but like gross adjacent like thing to then uh, Ezra then introduces his guest, which is Mark Moreno, who uh, famously accused the left of wanting to promote cannibalism in order to curb global warming somehow, which we covered, I think, in like episode three of our show. He's on this week to basically run down a bunch of stuff that they think is gross. So uh, we're going to play a game. It's called is this gross (laughs) you ready caitlin (laughs) yeah i'm ready okay first on this list artificial lab-grown meat is it gross no why isn't it gross caitlin (laughs) i'm sure that they're using some sort like what are the products that they're using to grow it? So they don't go into too much detail. They're just, they just said artificial lab grown meat. It's gross. Well, I, Mark Morano then goes on to say that printed meat is gross. So I don't, I don't know what's, I guess like you, you have cells and then you use some sort of like, I don't know, 3d printer maybe. And then you print the meat. Any comments in there? I think it was an interview with CBS news that we'll get used to the taste difference as we eat these processed you know, vegetable burgers that are allegedly like meat. Now, is World Economic Forum closely aligned with Bill Gates? They're arguing for printed meat uh, that you can just print up, you know, pounds of meat a day. Uh, and then, you know, it'll have the same consistency. You know, get used to the taste. And a lot of these have 22 plus ingredients and they're all kinds of weird vegetable oils mixed together with art, with flavorings. I mean, I'm indifferent to it. I don't care. I'm not fascinated by it. I don't think that it's gross at all. 
I like I contrast this with like hunting an animal. I think way more people would describe like the cutting into a lie or like a just killed animal to harvest its meat way more gross and disgusting than if your meat was just like through a cell culture and then printed. Yeah, I'm indifferent. All right. Next on our, <laughs> I guess next was the printed, but they go hand in hand. The next is, what about an artificial burger that's derived from poop? Interestingly enough, I, I there's a guy a few years before this that was claiming that he could make a poop burger. Oh. So this is not an isolation. Oh. Bill Gates. And they're actually talking about all these burgers. They actually did a YouTube video and then other people said it was a hoax. But after now seeing Bill Gates brag about drinking poop water, why would a poop burger be a hoax, and if the World Economic Forum is counting printed meat, who knows what we can believe anymore? Now the new slogan of the World Economic Forum with Bill Gates is to be, you'll own nothing, be happy, eat poop burgers, and drink poop water. I think that's their new modified slogan. It's not directly derived from poop. No, well, so the idea is, like, much like you'll have, like, water molecules, they'll, like, somehow extract proteins or some other stuff from the poop. Just use fucking soy products. <laughs> Like, why? It's this goddamn Beyond Meat burger, and now everyone wants to have their own little innovation on it. Yeah. No. <laughs> You're going to be selling like poop burgers at all these restaurants. Yeah. To me, I don't know why you would need to go to poop. There seems, like, as you sort of pointed out, like, there's so much more avenues of. So, like, what I think is happening here is you just have scientists going, well, what can we make a burger out of? Yes. You know what I mean? And then you have like one lab going, let's try poop. <laughs> let's, let's see what we can do here. So last, eating insects. Is it gross? Yeah, I, I think that's so gross. <laughs> no, I think that's just really gross. Why is it gross? Because insects are gross. What about shrimp? Are you cool with eating shrimp? Not really. Lobsters? No. We don't know what the rules are. No. <laughs> You're vegetarian, right? Yeah, I'll have shellfish sometimes, but it's more so like bigger events, like special occasions and stuff, because it's more so about my family and what they, what I don't want to be too picky, right? I'm a pescatarian, so I, I eat shellfish. And uh, yeah, shellfish are just basically, they're insects of the sea. Yeah, but insects, land insects taste different. Well, they probably taste different, but at the same time, it's like, they're just insects. Like how, what I don't understand is for some people to find eating insects gross, but are just okay with eating a mammal. No, I think both are gross. Well, yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm more on the side of thinking that the eating of the mammal is a little gross, but. I think both are gross. <laughs> I think they're both absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, but one, eating insects is better for the environment. Not eating seafood, but eating, uh. Because I think it was something like uh, the the grain that you would need to feed the cattle uh, to get this much protein is way more efficient to just get it directly from an insect. Uh, like if you were to eat locusts, for example. But you think it's gross. That's fine. So do they. Well, I, I want to say one thing. It's also insects. World Economic Forum and the climate campaigners are all pushing eating insects to save the earth. And I mean, that is actually the real push immediately. They've even got Hollywood celebrities like Nicole Kidman and others doing videos for Vanity Fair about how yummy live insects are. I don't know where the animal rights people are, but... The whole reason 
they're they're talking about this is a gross list is because they think all of this is evidence that like the left is trying to get us to like do gross things and they don't really like <laughs> they don't really uh finish that uh argument it's just kind of like what the the left they're so environmentally conscious they want us to do things like eat artificial lab grown meat ew and they're gonna print it ew and then like some of them are gonna derive it from poop ew and they're eating insects and they want us to drink poop and uh, that's this whole segment <laughs> i'm sure the leftists of the world are not thinking we need to do this by going through poop yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're not sitting around in our leftist like you know spaces going you know what why get the water from other sources when we can get it directly from the poop <laughs> well i think another reason why this is also happening is to find alternatives to food supplies as well because like a lot of these experiments is like how can we take something that we have an abundance of and turn it into something edible for people in countries where, you know, food is short in supply and it's hard to consume and find and find accessible food sources instead of, you know, not having capitalism. They're just doing weird things like this, because for some reason that seems more common sense to do than, you know, not having poverty and not having food shortages in places. And there's good, like, sound environmental reasons to look for these different things. But I think the irony here is, like, a lot of this is coming from, like, tech startups and, like, people like Bill Gates. So it's not like this is coming from the left. You know, like, the left might think, hey, these are things that when we eventually get our communist utopia, maybe we will want to get our water from poop directly. <laughs> but it's like, we're we're not the ones in charge of, like, tech startups such that we're directing their research you know yeah they also end by saying that we evolved to eat meat because we have canines which i think is the most uh stupid argument in the world as any dentist will tell you our teeth are called canines because yeah. we are built to be carnivores the jaw of a human is the jaw of a carnivore if you want to get right down to evolution or you know what is our purpose i mean I, i'm not even quoting the bible of you know uh, man's dominion over the animals. I heard that all growing up. So I've been a vegetarian since I knew that meat came from animals. Like the minute I found out, I was like, that's disgusting. I'm never eating this again. And I've stuck to my word on that. But you got canines, so uh, checkmate. My parents used to say that all the time to me growing up. My mom even used to try to hide meat inside food to get me to eat it. She would sometimes make pizza and bake the pepperoni underneath the cheese so I wouldn't be able to tell. And then she'd be like, oh, you ate meat. And I was just like, my God, it's like the boundaries that are being crossed. But it was like an obsession on trying to get me to eat meat. And I was like, why can't you just fucking respect that I don't want to fucking eat meat? They even did it literally two years ago. And I'm like, 23 at the time like i'm fucking 23 i don't even live with you like why do you even give a shit you don't even make me food but there is just something with people when you don't have a diet that aligns with their diet they just like can't take it for some reason and half the time i'd be like i just fucking cook for myself my in-laws it was a, a lot more pressure there but uh i was at least lucky with my 
because I was vegan for 10 years and my parents were like, were cool with it. Because again, if they were going to make something that I wasn't going to eat, I just made something on my own and I got by with that. There was no problem. But like the, this, this evolution argument, again, it's like, I mean, I, I don't know, like many people have probably heard of like the naturalistic fallacy, which is just because something is natural, it makes it good or whatever, which is a fallacy because there's tons of things that are natural, but not good, like cyanide, for example. <laughs> so just because we have canines, uh, it doesn't make eating meat uh, ethically okay, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's just the question of what actually is scientifically true, which is the fact that we're omnivores, which means we we do eat both, <laughs> you know? And there's many people today that eat a strictly vegetable-based diet and are completely healthy and fine. Yeah. So maybe you should shut up. <laughs> they also claim, so this is like their final claim, which is that all these attempts to make environmentally sustainable food is secretly a ploy towards regulation and central planning. Do they really think it's the right thing, Mark? How can you actually say eat poop, eat bugs, print meat, don't eat meat? Why would they say something that seems actually diabolical? Is like, if they were answering deeply honestly, what would they say their real motivation is? Well, first of all, it's a climate emergency. Uh, that's always the motivation for everything, for all of this social change. In other words, if we don't act, John Kerry today said we had nine years left to save the planet. That is what's driving all of this. Now, that's on one hand, that's an ideology slash disguised as science. On the other, interestingly enough, Bill Gates is now the largest farm owner in America. Yeah. So you start wondering, and you heard reports earlier years ago of, of uh, Soros buying up coal plants that were going offline in the theory at the time was maybe he was buying coal plants in order, you know, once they're all shut down, he'll have a monopoly once they're needed, if wind and solar are mandated and fail as backups. So part of it is, I think it's just an ideology of central planning. And they're always looking for justifications. And the COVID lockdowns have been a great one, as we've seen the last year, but the climate is an enduring one. And I'm sure COVID will be too, but it's an enduring one of what their natural instinct is. They want they don't like the idea, the messiness of human freedom and living. They want to put us all in cities. They want to pack us in. They want to have us own nothing. Uh, and they want us to regulate literally every aspect of our lives. Which is ironic, considering they're so grossed out by these things. But their worldview would be totally cool with an unregulated food supply while people die without recourse due to outbreaks of E. coli. Or in our current state, where they, they are so against regulations, they want people to, like, spread diseases to each other. And lastly, since it seemed like a theme this week, they say that this is literally... So what is what we just talked about? This is literally 1984. This is where we are. This is, you know, the George Orwell's... Do you want to see the future of the, of the human race? It's a boot stamped on their face. And this is it. This is how it comes out. It's that central planning ideological instinct, and they need the scare, COVID, climate, whatever the scare is. That's the simplest answer. And they think it's an arrogance of just planning. They want people to eat this. You have the people in Senegal. Oh, they don't have to go anywhere. We'll print them meat. They can drink the poop water. <laughs> I don't remember that being in the book. <laughs> no, this literally, this is literally, literally 1984. <laughs> 
don't you remember when they were like, uh, and they go to their 10 minutes hates and they're like, drink the poop, drink the poop. Uh, must have skipped over that part. <laughs> Mark Moreno said that Joe Biden is going to usher us into our globalist future as well. I expect nothing less of Joe Biden. Yeah. I am waiting. <laughs> I just found this segment so bizarre and it, it, it cuts to this like point that we brought up on the show before, which is like a lot of conservatism is just a disgust reaction at like some pretty normal stuff, you know? Well, I was, I think it goes to more what I was saying, how they have these like really silly beliefs and just silly things that they say and do and like over dramatic almost. And you did a comparison about uh, how Nazis kind of, did the same thing well i mean the nazis i mean but the, the funny thing here in this case is nazis a lot of them were vegetarians because it was about like purifying your diet it, like it was at the the notion of purity right mm, that's interesting because like there's this discourse around eating meat that's so masculinized like what it means to be man is to eat meat which i really think is just a way to say to dominate over something because really, it's like you're dominating over another creature. So I'm surprised by that. Like I would have thought they would fall into that kind of rhetoric and discourse of needing to consume and dominate. But I just think it's so odd, the obsession with eating meat. Like people who eat meat and have this like hate for veganism, just like overdo it and i'm really scared for their cardiovascular health like i really <laughs> get concerned for them like jordan peterson just eating nothing but meat no i eat beef and salt and water that's it and i never cheat ever not even a little bit that's pretty dumb like yeah. that's <laughs> that's not good for you <laughs> in contrast to because i do i think you are 100 percent right that meat eating today definitely has taken on this sort of like masculinized trait of like the hunter right we were meant to hunt the mammoth you know i wonder if that's why the sort of fascist movements of today are less likely to be the vegetarians that the nazis were some of the the nazi higher-ups were of their time right because i feel like maybe like because we're so far removed from hunting in today's society, I think it it holds more of that like idealized past past of the hunter. It could also just be like movements and shifts and world power and where fascism is now becoming like centered, right? Like it's no longer like the European countries are these, you know, big epicenters of power anymore. America's become become that powerhouse of a country and then within that country you've got a culture around eating meat that's been centered around fast food industries and hunting industries right so i think maybe that's where it kind of takes hold but i'm not really sure because i feel like discipline is like a a, a bigger value in european countries in certain european countries than it is in america where this idea of consumption is like overindulgence is more of seen as a good thing kind of unfettered too and then there's this sense of like what it is to be masculine is like starkly different from europe compared to to here i, I mean i'm generalizing because yeah, it yeah. depends on the country within europe and even regions within countries so but like there's just this american trend of like men having to be like 
you know, dominant brutes, almost senseless, undisciplined whatsoever. What are you trying to tell me? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm such a I'm such a soy boy. <laughs> I was just about to say, don't they call you soy boy? <laughs> I was gonna say too, I think like culturally as well, like another thing here is that vegetarianism is much more associated with the left today. And that could be a factor as well. Although, and and most of the reason why people become vegetarian, I mean, there's the ethical aspect of it in terms of animal welfare, but it's also, I think, having to do with the environment. But you're also starting to see a growing movement of like eco-fascists as well that are fascists who care about the environment. They just think that given the, uh, threat of global warming we need to be worse to immigrants right so uh, you might have two competing aspects of fascism but like they could work together like it could be like you have this like part of them that are the more like spiritual aspect of the fascism and then you have the more like manly brutal brown shirt part of the fascist movement that'll be like we eat elk steaks non-stop because we're men you know and yeah <laughs> Well, I think, like, identity, discourse, narratives around these topics anyways, just like how when we want to talk about marginalized groups and say that they're quite heterogeneous and not this unified group, it's probably the same with these alt-right groups as well, so. I guess we'll end this segment by taking a nice uh, sip of my my poop water. wanted to mention briefly as a kind of proactive segment which is it might be more of like a long-term proactive thing but they recently i think today they did uh, a motion on the the pharmacare bill that the ndp put forward and the liberals voted almost uh i think unanimously against it even though the liberals were the one who promised along with the NDP, that they were going to give us pharmacare during the last election. And this shouldn't be that surprising because it's not the first time that the liberals have gone back on a promise, a big promise, like uh, electoral reform, which was the big one that they pushed back in 2015. So it's not surprising. But that being said, I I see a lot of people online over so uh, the reason why i want to bring this up there was this ndp tweet that was like really stupid it was a joke that wasn't funny off of uh, the ndp's account and like it wasn't like bad it like bad in terms of like it didn't say anything like offensive or anything like this it just was like a really lame it was cringy it was cringy as hell and people's reaction to it is like shouldn't you be fo- f- like fighting for pharmacare or something like this And the thing that frustrates me is, like, people need to understand power. Like, just because there's some shitty comms person working for the NDP putting out shitty tweets doesn't mean that they're not actually trying to put forward bills like Pharmacare. And then it also sucks because it's like they don't have the power to push through Pharmacare because we have a liberal government that fucking sucks. So part of it is, like, I I wish people would have an appreciation of politics and not get mad at the NDP for stupid shit but 
get mad at like I get mad at them when they do things like fumble over the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, right? I think they they botched that whole thing up. But I think they are fighting for pharmacare. They wouldn't have pushed this thing forward if they weren't fighting for it. And what we need to do is build build more power so that eventually you have a stronger NDP to actually get that shit done. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in, in that regards, all I want to say is like, try not to be so defeatist and try to just minimally get involved in party politics. I realize party politics sucks. I, I don't, I don't think it's for everyone in terms of like getting too involved, but just do what you can to try to get the most left-leaning party <laughs> that has a chance elected so we can start moving things more to the left. That's all I would say. And with that, if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up, and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Wednesday and Friday at 8 p.m. You can find all the links to our social media stuff and in the show notes. Sorry. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at stratum.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And never forget that almost all the molecules of the water you drink have probably spent some time in a creature's bladder before it inevitably ends up in your tap. But it is a lot cooler if you think of it as drinking dinosaur pee. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.